Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. You know, we've been uh, talking about unity in the family for the last couple of weeks. And in uh, following along with Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we began with the unity between husbands and wives as we got into this part of the, the series. Wives are to come underneath the husbands to lift them up and support who they are in Christ, amen? And the calling that God has placed on them. While husbands are to love their wives in the same manner that Christ loved his bride, the church, with a love that is unconditional, unselfish, and undeserved. That's what we went over last week. Biblical marriage between one man, notice, what I'm, notice how I'm, I'm putting emphasis on that? One man and one woman is central it is the central relationship to the definition of family. It, it's, it's, that is family, right? In fact, the day you said I do was the day that a new family began. Your family doesn't start when you begin to have children. Children are a blessing and an extension of the family, but shouldn't be treated like the center of the family or the beginning of it. And, and when I say center of the family, I'm referring to everything revolving around the children instead of around the Christ-centered marriage. If you want a good home, if you want unity within your home and unity within your family, I'm giving you the absolute key to it because Paul gives it. I'm just telling you what Paul said. Have a Christ-centered marriage. That is absolutely the only way you're ever gonna have a home that's Christ-centered and a biblical example of what a family should be. Um, and it's not that children's needs are less important. It's not that they're less important. They need to be loved and nurtured. But if, if you want a strong family, it's, it, it always starts with a strong marriage. And if you are divorced or a single parent, please hear me. Jesus fills those voids and those gaps within the family, and he fills them perfectly. So, so don't worry about it. This isn't shame on you for for. for being divorced or being single or whatever the situation is in your life, um, Jesus, just know our God, Jesus Christ, can fill every single void and make it work. Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, and this is for you that, that maybe don't fit into this mold of, of this husband, wife, and kids kind of thing. Paul wrote to those, those believers in Rome, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So, I don't want one person to feel condemned this morning as we talk about this. And understand, I have to talk about this because this is where we're at in the series, right? I'm not picking on anybody. And you gotta talk about this because family is under attack and if someone doesn't talk about biblical families, maybe we'll lose that whole concept altogether. So we gotta talk about it. I'm not here to make you feel uncomfortable or to feel slighted or somehow shamed. Going through something difficult with your family can become an important, or an important opportunity to minister to others who are experiencing the same thing. So if, if, you've, if you're not that, uh, if you don't fit into this mold, just remember, you can either be a blessing in who you are and what you know because of what you've been through and how God has seen you through, or you can become embittered. And I, I would just encourage you to become a blessing rather than become embittered. Amen? How many, how many have ever gone through something in their family that was tough? Raise your hand, it's all right. Tons of us, tons of us. 
So this morning, as we start chapter 6, which continues with family, um, it's about kids. And I know there's some kids in here today, and there's some teenagers here today, and I want you guys to listen up. Uh, I'm not used to talking to little kids, so you got to just, if, if I say a word that you don't know what it is, just nudge your mom or dad and say, what does that mean? Um, that's all right this morning, but we're going to move on here in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, and it's pretty simple. It says, children, obey, everybody say obey, okay. your parents, because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. And the joke is you'll have a long life because they won't kill you, right? <laughs> Not really. There's a blessing attached to honoring and obeying your parents that says things will go well for you, that blessing will just be over you because of your honoring of them, because of your obeying them, that blessing will just be on you. And, and the best way I can describe that is, is, is not that life will become a, a just so easy and you'll never have any struggles, but it will just seem like the struggles are easy to get through. The blessing of God when it's on you, it, it makes it so like everything you touch turns to gold. You know anybody like that? Everything they do just works. They're just in the blessing of God. Is it because they're lucky? I don't think so. And you can get into definitions of what, what, what is, you know, something turning to gold, what's good and what isn't, but I'm, I'm just saying there's a blessing on this, on this particular uh, uh, command. It's a promise of blessing on you to have long life if you obey and have things go well for you if, if, you, if you honor your father and mother. And I think honor, you could probably apply that all the way through until through your adult years, and some of you have very old mothers and fathers still living, you're still to honor them. That doesn't go away. The obedience part maybe changes as you became mature, but to honor them does not stop. You honor them because the Bible says that's the right thing to do. In American culture, we don't do so well at honoring our elderly, do we? We don't honor our fathers and mothers. In some cases, and I know this for a fact, um, kids will move far away. And, and I got to preach this hard today because I want my kids to hear this, right? Because I'm getting older. Um, kids move far away. And then, and then when it's time for mom or dad to go to a, a, a nursing home or get some extra care, you know, sometimes they're just put into those places and forgotten about. And those of you that, that work in the nursing home world, you see this on a daily basis. And, and you know that that's, that's hard, and you're, you're there ministering to them, and I, I, I know you know that. But that's not how it should be. I mean, we're, we're a culture that doesn't honor our father and mother as much as we should. And so there's a blessing that goes with that, and I, I think it's important to bring that out. And, and here, Paul brings up the first commandment. Uh, he, uh, he reminds us of it, and he says it's the first commandment with a promise. The fifth commandment, honor thy father and mother. And the promise is that things will go well, and the child will have a long life. And I think it's important to say that Paul is speaking in reference to biblical families here. Man, we live in a fallen world, and whether it's the direct result of our own sinful decisions or just the fact that sin of this world taints everything around it, families are certainly affected. And what they, are, what they were meant and, and are meant to be has become skewed in our society. And, and what was effortless in the Garden of Eden, I think about this, with the first family, has now become something we have to fight for. 
it was effortless in the Garden of Eden. You had Adam and Eve, and they just, they just lived with, with, in relationship with God the Father, and, and it was wonderful, and it was perfect. It was perfect. But something came in called sin, and it skewed it all. You know, there were, there were no questions that needed answering in that first family. I was thinking about this the other day. They didn't have to question everything of what was right and what was wrong. And, and, and today, everything is about, well, is that right or is that wrong? Or am I making the right decision or am I making the wrong decision? Or that's not right for you or that, that's right for you, but not. All that gets all confusing, right? Are you with me? You understand what I'm talking about? And it, it's it kind of paradoxical because it, it's amazing that that, that the imperfections that now cause all those questions were the result of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Does that make any sense? Like they ate from the fruit, from the tree of the fruit, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and now we have all these questions. Before that, we didn't have all those questions of right and wrong and what's this and what's that. And innocence was lost when sin entered the world. And in the scripture, Paul is giving families some solid advice on what they must do to recover some of that which God ultimately intended. It's blunt and it's to the point. Children, those that are still young and whose brains haven't fully developed yet, if you're a kid in here, turn to your mom and dad and say, I'm sorry, my brain hasn't fully developed yet. <laughs> That's not a crack, it's truth, it's science, right? What's the age of a fully developed brain? 25. It's funny, you have to be 25 years old according to our constitution and bylaws in this church to be on the board. And that's partly the reason, or a big part of the reason. I mean, how many know, how many adults know that you weren't, you didn't, you didn't realize you had all the, well, I'm not even gonna say that, that's not good. <laughs> that could really backfire if I say that. Children are those who are still immature and are in the growing stages of their life. And even though teenagers and young people, you, you may, you may want to be mature right now and you might want to be treated like an adult right now, it's not the right timing yet. You've got lots to learn. Those who are still dependent on their parents' provision. You remember that moment when you realized that your parents had to pay a whole lot of money for you to live? I mean, I thought it was cheap. I thought it was like, man, I don't, I don't require anything, you know? And I got a job, I work, I buy my own clothes, and I, I, I bought everything from the time I was 16 years old. Bought my own car, bought my own gas, bought my own insurance. That's just the way my dad rolled. But you know what, when I got, when I got out on my own, I realized they were still paying a lot of stuff for me. Utilities, taxes on the place where I live, lived, the home I lived in, the mortgage that that costs, all those little things we don't even think about. Children, Paul says, and if you fall under that category, any of those things I've been talking about, he says, obey your parents. And that word obey is translated from the original Greek word, hupakuo. Everybody say hupakuo. That's the Greek word, and it means precisely that, to obey, to do what I say, to obey. And you remember that the word that describes what wives are supposed to do for their husbands is hupatasso, right? This word's very similar, and they're very close in meaning, which is why sometimes we get the wrong idea of what wives are, are told by Paul to do for their husbands. 
we broke that down a couple weeks ago. Hupatasso means come underneath and support them. And uh, that word's often translated submit and can be misunderstood. Hupakuo, though, is the word that means obey. And it's the original word used here to describe the, to describe the responsibility that children have to their parents. They are to obey. That is your responsibility, to obey. To give you some reference to what this word means, let's look at some other places in the New Testament that it's used. Hupakuo is used in the Gospels when uh, the disciples saw and heard Jesus say to the storm, remember when he was out in the boat and he said, peace be still, and the storm just was like quiet, right? They said, even the wind and the waves Hupakuo, obey him. They obeyed him, the wind and the waves. It also is the original word when the people were amazed by Jesus commanding with authority the unclean demonic spirit to come out of the man who was in the synagogue. The the people said, who is this Jesus that even unclean spirits, Hupakuo, obey him? Even unclean spirits obey him. In the book of Acts chapter 12, you might remember the story about how Peter is in prison and he's on death row and King Herod was going to put him to death and an angel comes, removes his chains, walks him past the guards and the prison gate that led to the city and no one saw him and then the Christians that had been praying for him so had been praying for him and they, he, he went right to Mary's house, Mary the mother of, of John Mark and, and he knocked on the door and a servant girl named Rhonda, you didn't know there was a Rhonda in the Bible, did you? Some of you did. But Rhonda, this servant girl, it's just a little tiny thing in the book of Acts, she obeyed the knock that she heard. She hupakuoed, she heard the knock and she obeyed. She was just a, just a little servant girl. And I bring this up because children need to not only obey the big stuff, and, and when I think about the wind and the waves and unclean demonic spirits, they obey Jesus, and that seems like big stuff, but I think the same word applies to the small stuff too, like a little girl answering a door, obeying a door knock. So kids, maybe, maybe just maybe make this connection with me. You're not only just to obey, you're supposed to obey the big stuff in your mind, what, what, what that is is probably the, your definition and your parents' definition, but you're also supposed to obey the little stuff as well. Like, clean your room. Well, I'll do it when I want to do it. That's rebellion. Parents say it, you do it. Right? This is a real popular message with the teenagers. You know? But do you want God's blessing on your life? I'm not saying this to be mean and authoritative and be like, oh, listen to your mom and dad or you're a bad kid. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we love you so much in this church. Your parents love you so much that we want you to know if things will go well for you and you'll have long life, the blessing of God will be on you if you even just do this one thing. You obey your parents and you honor them. It's important. We want the best for you. How many want the best for your kids? I mean, you absolutely do. How many are selfish and just want what's good for you for your kids? Okay. We want the best for our kids. Well, we've got to talk about these things. And yeah, I know they're not popular, but what we got to talk about. Obeying your parents is honoring them. And they will not always be right about everything. Sorry to say, parents. But it's always right to honor them with your obedience, kids. And if those feelings of not wanting to do what they say just seem to take you over, do you guys remember when you were young, the parents? Do you remember when you were young and you just did not want to do 
what they said. You want to hear a story? This nice little girl that I used to have who's up here leading worship this morning. I didn't say a name, so I don't have to pay, right? But I remember one time she just did not want to apologize to her sister for something she'd done. And I probably told this story before. And I said, I said, you need to apologize or I'm going to have to spank you. And she said, spank me. <laughs> so I did. Not too hard, but just enough to maybe sting just a little bit to, on the butt. I wasn't doing it in anger or anything like that. And I said, okay. You're going to have to think about this for a little bit because you're still going to have to apologize or get another spanking. So I went back to her and I said, are you going to uh, apologize now? Give me another spanking. <laughs> so I did. A third time. Came, we came to that. And I said, you need to apologize or I don't have to spank you. And, and honestly... I wasn't angry. I, 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 I couldn't spank her any harder, right? Because you can only spank a little kid so hard, and there was no anger involved, so I said, I'm going to have to spank you again. And it's got to, you know, how many have been in that spot as a parent? You, you know it has to be a little harder, right? So I made her wait a little longer because, you know, anticipation of it's worse, right? That's the worst part. And I said, are you ready to apologize? Nope. And so I had to spank her a third time. And then I went back and I said, we can do this all day long or you can apologize, you know? And she finally apologized. That's probably something we can all relate with, those moments where we all had times like that where we were just like, I don't want to obey anybody right now. I don't want to do that. Thank God it worked because she's not like that anymore. Ben often buys me breakfast because he knows that he's got a real submissive wife now. And, you know, it's all because of his father-in-law. Not true. <laughs> totally kidding. We all have those moments. And young people, you have those moments too where you just don't want to obey. But I'm telling you, remember what God's word said. You may not feel like it. You may not want to do it but do it because it's the right thing to do. And blessing will come on, to, on you when you do that. Blessing. You want to live in God's blessing? I do. You want to live outside God's blessing? I don't think you do. And maybe you don't even know what that means yet, but you don't want to live there, I'm telling you. Then it says, Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Parents, I think verse four speaks to the responsibilities that you have in this. You are not to do things that provoke your children to anger. And let me put it this way. When you act in a way that is not honorable while expecting your child to obey and honor you, that, that it, it'll absolutely provoke them to anger. When a parent says, do what I say and not what I do, you just blew it. Unity in the family is agreement, it's oneness, and it's absolutely worth striving for. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And this speaks of stewarding your children. We must steward them as God's possessions given to us to manage. They're God's. They're on loan 
from God to you as parents. Manage their gifts, manage their calling, steward uh, uh, helping them make good decisions in those early stages of life. And it's hard to know if you're always doing the right thing as a parent. When do you let go of the reins a bit? And when do you pull them tight? And when should you be a little more helicoptery, if that's a word? And when should you give them some independence? When do you let them fall and learn? When, when, and, and when do you, do you run to their aid and protect them from every little boo-boo? It's really difficult to be a parent, especially today. I, I, I get it. We aren't called to control our children. We are called to steward them, guide them into all that is right. And they'll be under control, hopefully the Lord's, when we do that properly. Ultimately, every child is going to get to choose for themselves. But if you, if you are living it out in front of them as parents, it's better caught than taught, I'm telling you. Said it a million times. Kids appreciate the fact, you, you got to appreciate the fact that your parents have an impossible task. They have to raise you up to be godly, and that's not easy. You are probably not always the easiest person to deal with, right? As a kid. Is there any kids in here that would say you're not always easy to deal with? Would you just say amen, kids? Youth? Yeah, there's a couple raising their hands. Yeah, I'm not always easy. <laughs> Don't be proud of it. I mean, just raise your hand and put it back down. <laughs> we're not, are we? We weren't when we were kids as parents. As your parents, we can say we weren't always easy to deal with as kids either. And I think it's important you know you're not easy to deal with. So appreciate the fact that your parents have an impossible job. Why don't you turn to your parents right now, all you kids, all you teenagers, if you're near them, or if you're not near them, stand up and point at them, and uh, just say, you're doing an amazing job raising me. There you go. She's still raising you? What are you, like 30? No. <laughs> I mean, once in a while, kids, teenagers, it might be really good to just say, you know, when, when the time is good and, and things are going good, say, hey, I just wanted to let you know I appreciate you and all you do in raising me because I know I'm not easy. Those kinds of conversations create unity in the home because you understand you're being self-aware and your parents can then can even be a little self-aware. And we're going to get into that in just a second here. I, I, I think parents need to, and let me pick on them a little bit, Parent with the three sets of seven years, I call it. Parent with the three sets of seven years. And I'm going to go through this really fast. The first seven years, and you've heard me talk about this before, but some of you may not, so I thought I'd bring it up real quick. Nurturing, the first seven years, your predominant responsibility as a parent is to nurture those kids. Nurture them. This is why a lot of times, and, and I'm going to, I know someone's going to get mad at me for saying this, but I don't care, I'm going to say it anyway. This is why mothers, wives in the home, moms, tend to be a little more involved in that first seven years because generally speaking, they are better nurturers. They're more in touch with their emotions than some of you logical men, right? So the first seven years is predominantly nurturing that child. There's some training, sure, and there's some coaching, but predominantly you're nurturing. And then the second seven years, the ages eight through 14, the predominant thing you need to do as parents is train your kids. 
You'll, you'll still nurture them at times, but you're training them predominantly. That's the main focus. You're training them up. You're showing them things. You're, you're teaching them how to do stuff. It's probably when you're going to be in the car, Donnie, with, with Maddie and teaching her how to drive. She loves that when she's driving with you. Um, I probably have to teach your daughter how to drive because you had to teach my daughters how to drive because I couldn't be in the car with them while they were driving. I was like, Arr! But he had the patience of Job. It might flip. I don't know. Do you have the patience of Job with, with Maddie? Yes. You do? I'll ask Maddie later because <laughs> I'll teach Molly how to drive. All right. Good. All that training. No, I, I, it's fine. I'll do that. I love Molly. Training, that's the second set of seven years, right? That's the predominant thing you do, even though you do the other stuff too. And then the third set of seven years is predominantly coaching. So from the age of 15 through 21, you're coaching them. You're giving them a little more independence. You know what happens a lot of times with parents? They get busy with their own stuff. They get involved in things. And they, they, they feel bad in their own hearts that they didn't nurture enough. So they try to nurture more in the, in the coaching years or the training years I mean, I tell you what, if you try to nurture your 14-year-old, you may have a rebel on your hands. You got to think about it. And maybe you did it wrong. No, so now what do I do? I, I didn't do this right. You go and apologize to him, and then you get it right. I'm telling you what, one of the most powerful things I ever did as a parent, most powerful thing, one of the most powerful things I've ever, I did and, and continually did was apologize to my kids when I was wrong and apologize to them when I was out of line. They heard and that, you know, kids forgive. You know, you gotta be honorable if you expect your kids to honor you. And um, that's the point. It's much easier for a child to honor and obey someone who's honorable. And kids, the Bible never says, remember this, the kid, this is, this is to you, young people, youth, teenagers, the Bible never says honor and obey your parents if they are worthy of it. You're just supposed to do it. And when kids are trying and parents are doing their best, it won't be so difficult. You know, if, if a kid ever says after this, merit, after this message today, says to their parent, well, I'll, I'll obey you and I'll honor you when, you're, when you act honorable. You have my permission to do whatever you need to do to stop that kind of thing. Because there, there's nothing in scripture that says that. You have to honor regardless. But make it easy, parents, on your kids. You understand what I'm saying? Be honorable. It's very possible that you need to sit down as a family together and reboot, apologize for what you've been failing to do. Parents, it's okay to apologize to your children for not being perfect parents, apologizing when you mess up. And kids, it's okay to apologize to mom and dad when you've been a royal pain in there, you know what. It's okay to apologize for that. And if you happen to be here this morning and you are a kid and your parents have, never, have, have not yet come to the place where they have given their hearts to Jesus, you still need to obey and honor them as much as possible. The only time this obeying your parents thing doesn't apply is when they flat out ask you to do unbiblical things or you find yourself in an abusive situation. And I believe that unified families can, can do amazing things together when the petty bickering and the fighting is replaced with ministering to others as a family, it's amazing how that sense of honoring one another will just flow. Sometimes we don't focus on the right things. We're so busy doing so much stuff and being so super hyper busy with all the activities that we forget that God has put you together as a family to be a blessing to others. And I, I think there's great ways you can do that. 
Uh, in, in my years growing up, my family decided to become a foster family. And I say my family and not my parents decided that because they sat us down and they said, hey, we have this home. We know there's kids who have rough situations and they come from tough backgrounds or tough things that have happened in their families. We want to know what you guys think. And I had one brother, older brother, and two younger sisters. We want to know what you think about, about opening our home up and becoming a foster family. And, and we're all like, yeah, let's do it together. But you know, that happened over and over throughout my middle school years and my high school years, even my, actually my elementary years, we had, some, we had someone living with us a lot. Some of those people probably are even watching online today. I know one of my foster brothers, he comments to me every once in a while, and that, that was, he was my foster brother when I was in fifth grade. So there was, a, there was a ministry there that happened with our family. And you know what happened to the, 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 the you know how sisters and brothers fight? You know how you bicker with mom and dad once in a while? That stuff still happened from time to time. I don't want you to think that somehow we were perfect in any way. But the focus as a family to come together to minister to other people just put it in right perspective, and those things didn't happen near as much. We had a mission together. We had a goal together. And I think you got to find those things as a family. Parents, you need to come up with some of those things. Kids, if you got ideas, throw them out on the table. How can you minister together as a family? Become focused together at doing something great. Unity in the family, I mean, it, it, let's face it. We, we, we've gone over that verse many, many times, Psalms 133, how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity, the believers. How, how good and pleasant it is when the family dwells together in unity. They'll have the anointing and they'll have fruit as a family. I don't know about you, but that excites me. My family ministering together? It doesn't need to mean, it doesn't mean you have to become a, a family band and start singing and doing all sorts of, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're not the Van Tra the Bond Trap family all of a sudden, right? You don't turn into the Gaithers overnight, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying come together for the purpose for a, a unified purpose to get something done. And, and you may be surprised of what happens within your family. I remember when my mom and dad would say things like, you know, we're, we're thinking about taking these two brothers on or, these, or this girl, this teenage girl on or, or this baby. And we, we had different kids that came into our home. I, one, of the, one of the little babies had, had every, it was 18 months, he was 18 months old, he had every bone in his body broken at least twice. From abuse. When mom and dad say that to the kids and say, can we bring him into our home and love on him? Of course they're going to say yes. Obviously, that was a, it was a wonderful thing. And all of the lessons that come with that, we're like, somebody really hurt a baby? There's so many lessons that come with that when you start ministering to others. And I'm not telling everybody they should be a foster family. That's not what I'm doing today either, because that might not be for everybody. But um, I remember a time when we had a teenager and they wanted to... It was, it was, they wanted to place a teenager with us, and it was a, it was a girl, and, and she was, uh, uh, was kind of near that Thanksgiving time, I think, or in the fall or whatever, and, and late fall, and, and my mom and dad said, you, you know, guys, that that means when Christmas comes that you're all probably going to get one less present because we have to provide presents for this person, too. They're a part of our family. They get the same no matter what. We're treating them the same. They get the same rules, the same blessings. Everything's the same. And uh, we would say, yeah, we'll give up a present for that. And maybe, that, maybe that's just it. Maybe there's lots of things you can do uh, as a family. Maybe uh, you could start a Christmas fund together and 
figure out what you're going to do every year for another family. Maybe, maybe you can go on a missions trip together as a family or serve meals at a shelter during Thanksgiving. Be creative, but do something together as a family, something that's eternal, not just something that's, that's another activity to run around the countryside and, and be a part of, even though those things are fine. Vacations are great, but, but what I remember most about my childhood is those things that were eternal that we did together as a family. I thank God for a mom and dad that lived out their own personal transformations in front of us. I watched my mom and dad not just get saved, but become sanctified. I watched it. Nothing more powerful than that. You don't think it was hard to give mom and dad honor and obey them when you saw that kind of humility and that kind of change? Quiet in here. Easy for kids honor and obey when that's going on, when you're the same person on Sunday morning as you are, you know, Monday morning and Friday night. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So together this morning, let's take the bread, which is symbolic of the body of Jesus Christ, and let's hold it up as we pray together. Lord, we thank you that you allowed your body to be broken on our behalf. Jesus, we owe a debt to you that we could never pay, but we will live for you until you return again. Remind us always of what you accomplished for us on the cross. You took our sins, our sickness, our guilt, and our shame, and we eat this bread together now in remembrance of your gift to us. Let's eat together. Thank you, Lord. 1 Corinthians 11, 25 and 26 says, in the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your shed blood. We've been singing about it all morning. For the new life that it gives us, you washed our sins away with your precious blood. You cleansed us, Lord Jesus, from all unrighteousness with your blood. That shed blood protects us like a shield from all the devil's schemes. We take and drink this cup together as families this morning, declaring that we have been purchased with your blood for the purpose of building your kingdom until you come again. We remember that today, Lord Jesus, as we drink together as family together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you stand, church, and just lift your hands in praise to God? Hallelujah. Just raise your hands up this morning. Let's sing that song right there. This is the chorus. Jesus, 
today. May families find a, a renewed commitment, Lord, to be unified in you. God, we are so thankful for this church. We're thankful for one another. And we praise you today for all you're going to do in and through our lives. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.